So we always uh, focus on who we are as people. And we, we kind of rotate around and orbit around gospel community mission to give us orientation and focus as a church for who we are. And so we just need to call ourselves to remember, because the Bible says that we're forgetful people, so we need reminders all the time. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what that means for our lives. And we just continue to do that again as we kick off this year. God calls us to remember. So we're going to return to the truth of the gospel this morning, what it is, how it functions, why it is that it's so beautiful and worthy to be trusted. So you guys have your Bible digital or, or paper. Let's keep our eyes on 1 Peter chapter 2, 24 and 25. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. So in this text, Peter is writing to an ancient church that is suffering. And in this immediate context of chapter 2, he's talking about submission to authority in the context of suffering. And at the end of this context that he's talking about in chapter 2, he just inserts two verses of just like a succinct gospel reminder, gospel foundation. Let me read it again for us. He himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So if someone were to ask you, what's the essence of Christianity? If someone asked you, what do you actually believe? A lot of us could be frozen by that question. You know, you're kind of put on the spot, not really sure what to say. Well, it's, I know it's simple, but it's also complicated. And what do I say? I mean, all you got to do is, is remember this verse. There's a whole host of other ones you could remember, but I'll just commend this one to you today. 1 Peter 2, 24, 25. Just, just remember that. These, these two verses don't say everything about the depths of the good news of what Jesus has done in time, space, and history. It doesn't say everything, but it says enough. It says enough. And my goal this morning is to show you this and how how you respond in trusting this for the, maybe for the first time this morning or for just a continual walking in faith and living by the truths of this, giving your life for it. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to show you from this text some intentional, what I, what I would call intentional pairings or maybe intentional groupings. And if you look at the text, you'll see it, Right? Peter's laying out some intentional pairs that I think are very instructive for us as we remind ourselves of what the gospel actually is. So let's look at the first one. Look at verse 24. Our sins, his body. See it there? Verse 24. Our sins, his body. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You see that there? So it was my sin laid on his body on the cross. Now this verse, when you just look at the language of it, I would say that it's pretty sanitized compared to the reality, right? Bearing something on the tree. That sounds pretty calm, pretty simple. Unless you know the realities of crucifixion in the ancient Roman world. Like crucifixion was an absolute horror. So much so that it wasn't even polite to talk about crucifixion in just normal company. Like, I can't imagine having to be a witness. You know, every time, as far as I know, every time that someone is executed by the state, um, there's witnesses for that. And it used to be, in in our past, the electric chair. Like, I can't imagine having to be a witness to that. I would have no desire for that. But crucifixion would have been a thousand times worse. So what does that tell us, though, about the gospel? What does that tell us about the gospel? What does the horror of, of the crucifixion that, G, that Peter is referring to here, what does that tell us about the heart of the gospel that we have to know? Well, it tells us a couple things. Number one, there is no gospel, there is no good news without first admitting that we are sinners, and here's the deal, that our sin is very, very serious. That we're sinners and our sin is very, very serious. Look at what it took, to use the language of the text, to bear it. Look at what it took to bear it. Look at the severity of this judgment. Look at the horror of judgment that fell upon God himself in Jesus on the cross. Think about it like this. If you were just to come up and punch me in the face for no reason, that'd be a big deal. It'd be a big deal to me, right? And maybe I would press charges, and maybe you would get community service. Maybe you would get a fine. It probably wouldn't be that big of a deal in terms of legal ramifications. But let's say you live in a nation like Jordan or Saudi Arabia or Morocco, and you walk up and punch the king of Jordan, king of Saudi Arabia, in the face. What's going to happen? Well, many of those countries, that would probably mean a death sentence. Or at least a much more severe penalty than if you were to punch me in the face. Now, that makes sense intuitively to all of us, doesn't it? It's not that a king of a nation is more valuable than I am, right? We have a doctrine of the image of God and the dignity of all human beings as image bearers of God. But there's something different communicated when you punch the king in the face. It, it communicates a, a disrespect for the role, right? 
like a disrespect of the office of king. Like when someone, we hear it oftentimes, like when someone salutes a military person, we hear, I'm not saluting the man in the uniform, I'm saluting the uniform and what it represents, right? So punching the king in the face is the ultimate disrespect of the office of king, and that deserves punishment. But see, what if you punch the king of the universe in the face? Like, that's no small gesture, is it? See, our, our sin is a grievous offense. It's an ultimate disrespect. It's an ultimate turning our back on the God who gives us life and breath and sunshine and beautiful days and, and hearts that beat and lungs that breathe. So we, we know intuitively the punishment should fit the crime. The severity of the punishment relates to the severity of the crime. So here's the whole point. When you see the punishment using the language of the text that Jesus bore on the cross, that must communicate, because that was about as severe as it gets, that must communicate that our sin is a big deal. Our sin is a big deal. God is holy, and he doesn't just sweep our sin under the rug. It has to be dealt with. And the first great news of the gospel is that we don't have to bear this very serious penalty on ourselves that our sin deserves. Look at it again. In verse 24, Jesus bore it for us. If we're willing to receive this news and turn from our sin and cast our very lives upon him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's the first thing we, we learn. The severity of the punishment tells us something about the severity and the seriousness of our sin. We like to minimize our sin all the time. It's not really that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Look at the cross. Everybody else's sin is a big deal. Mine is not that big a deal. Like, I want justice when they sin against me but I just assume mercy when I sin against them. Our sin is a big deal. Our sin is a big deal. That's the first thing we learn. Look to the severity of God and the punishment that he had to bear for us. Consider another angle now. Look at what the text says. It doesn't say our sin, our body, does it? It doesn't say that. That would be the scariest verse ever. It says, our sin, his body. So what does that mean? Secondly, it means, number one, our sin is very, very serious. Number two, that Jesus took our place. And the, and the word here is substitute. He is our substitute. There is no gospel, hear this, there is no gospel apart from substitution. There is no gospel apart from substitution. I don't bear my sin. Jesus, God himself in Jesus, second person of the Trinity, is very serious about sin. He's also, hear this, very serious about mercy. 
And if I'm willing to receive his mercy because I know I need it, God himself is willing to pay the price for what my sin deserves. It's the best news in the world. Don't get used to it. Right? It's the best news in the world. Don't grow accustomed to it. Don't get bored with it. The question is, are we willing to receive it? Do you know that you need it? My sin on his body, substitution. So what does that produce? Well, let's keep going. That's the first set of pairings. Let's look at the second set of pairings. What does that produce? What does this news produce in our lives? When I receive this mercy from God, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, comma, so that, see the connection there? It's going to produce something. This factual statement is going to actualize itself in my life so that we, God's people, those who believe and trust this news, might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's our second group of pairs. Dead to sin, alive to righteousness. Dead to sin, alive to righteousness. So receiving this gospel, receiving this news, has a transformative effect on us. Does it not? Let me illustrate this. So imagine you just ruined your life with credit card debt. Okay? Addicted to foolish spending over and over again. Just burying yourself in debt. Thousands and thousands of dollars. So much so that it ruins your marriage through secret spending, broken trust. You can't pay back the bank. You lose your car, you lose your house as a result, and you're just in over your head. You're overwhelmed. Imagine that in your mind. Well, then your wealthy grandmother invites you over for dinner, and she sits you down. And she says she's been watching you struggle financially. She's been watching you make really foolish decisions with your money for many years. She's been grieved by these choices, by this addictive behavior. But she says she wants to give you a fresh start. And in sheer undeserved mercy, she gifts you, gifts you $200,000 to pay off all your debt and allow you to start fresh, okay? Now, a lot of us can see how that is an illustration of the good news of the gospel, right? But ask yourself this. Again, place yourself imaginatively in that context. Would this sheer act of mercy harden your heart to want to keep spending foolishly and just like, man, I just want to jump back into that hole as soon as I can. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense, right? No, see, this mercy from grandma would change your life. To use the words of this text, it would cause you to want to die to debt and live to financial wisdom. You can imagine that. See, mercy, when properly understood, always changes our lives. 
See, wouldn't, wouldn't you have such a deep, profound love and admiration for your grandma if she did this for you? Not that you'd ever try to pay her back, because that would be impossible. The debt was too big. But you would love her. You would thank her. You would respect her. You would revere her. Her mercy would mark you for the rest of your life. You would never forget that. It would change your life. Let me give you an example. Like from our our lives, when we were moving forward with adoption in our family many years ago, we found out that we were going to need to have about $15,000 within 48 hours in order for us to pay all the administrative costs of adoption. Long story, this is the short version. We needed $15,000 that we didn't have, and we needed it fast. And we had this young couple at our church, and this is, this is um, 12 years ago. Uh, this young couple from church, younger than us, I think probably 24, 25, they'd been gifted some money, and their, their instructions uh, with being gifted this money was to have fun with half of it and to use the other half to bless somebody. And they decided to bless us. And they gave us $5,000. From them, that was very, very generous. They were young people, didn't have a lot of money. Think of what that does for Kim and I. Does that enable us to want to be greedy with our money? Especially if someone comes to us and says, hey, we're trying to raise some money because we really want to pay off all this administration costs to adopt someone. Does that make us go, man, I just, I just want to be greedy right now. No, it goes, man, this mercy that we were shown, I just want to show it. it. It's changed our lives, right? It helps us be dead to greed and alive to generosity. You see that? It doesn't enable me to continue in greed or selfishness. That mercy, that grace has changed our life in terms of our perspective when someone's raising money for adoption or, or any other thing. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. Through having our sin debt completely paid off, we see God with new eyes. We die to this old way of life, and seeing what God is Jesus gives us the motivation to live for displaying that we love God. In light of him bearing my sin on the cross, I don't want to enable sin in my life. I really see what he's done. I want to enable righteousness. I'm dead to that old way of life. I'm dead to the consequences. I'm dead to the power of it. And my orientation now is focused on my heavenly father who gave himself for me in Jesus. So that second pairing, look at it in the text. Dead to sin, alive to righteousness. What do we find next? We found our third group of pairs. His wounds, my healing. His wounds, my healing. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now for some of us who aren't familiar with our Bibles, we're so glad you're here. Not all of us are 
perfectly familiar with our Bibles, that's, that's okay. I need to explain something here. What Peter is doing is he's quoting the Old Testament. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53. And that's what Peter is quoting here. Let me just read it for you. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Here it is. And with his wounds we are healed. Hear that language of substitution again? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Substitution. So it would be really helpful for us to answer this question. What does this wounding and healing, what does it look like? What does, that, what does he mean? See, this is a metaphor, right? In what sense have we been healed by Jesus' substitution for us where he laid down his life on the cross? What does this healing look like in our lives? That's a great question. And that leads us to the final group of gospel pairings, okay, in the text. Look at verse 25. For you were, past tense, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Fourth pairing, straying, returning. Straying, returning. So look at what Peter's doing here. He's defining healing as restored fellowship with God. See? By his wounds you have been healed. Next sentence, for... That four is a clue that he's about to explain something. By his wounds you've been healed. So I need to be healed from something. According to verse 25, it's that I was straying. For you were straying like sheep, far from God. Colossians 1 says, um, without hope and without God in the world. For you were straying like sheep. You were off on your own. Anybody knows that, that sheep that are off on their own, easy target. Easy target. Not going to last long. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's a picture of fellowship with God. So Peter's defining this healing. By his wounds you've been healed. What does that look like? It looks like restored fellowship with God. Restored fellowship with God. By his wounds you've been healed. You were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Off on your own, no relationship. Now in the gospel, you've returned. You've restored relationship with God. No longer isolated, no longer alone. And, and look at the words he uses to describe this. It's so beautiful, so comforting. If you're in Christ, if you've repented of your sin and turned away from it and given it over to Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin that you deserve to pay, you can know today for sure that you're not alone in the universe. You're not alone in the universe. You have, look at what it says, you have a caretaker. 
That's what a shepherd was for a sheep. Someone looking out for you. You have someone looking out for you, even if it feels like you don't. Don't believe the lie. You do. According to God's word, the authority of God's word, we pronounce that you're not alone in the universe. You have a shepherd. You have a caretaker. In time, that will all make sense. You have a shepherd and overseer of your soul. A shepherd and an overseer of your eternity is another way that could be spoken. Isn't that deep down what we all want, right? That we've seen clearly this morning that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did in history, what that accomplished for us. I'm not alone in the universe. That there's someone out there that can't be taken away from me, even in death, that will help me and love me. That's one of the consequences of the gospel, one of the implications of the gospel this morning that I find so comforting, so attractive, that that exists and it's possible. And you can know it's true because Jesus died for your sins. The wrath of God doesn't fall on those who are in Christ, who've turned from their sin and trusted Jesus. And as a result, you can have a living, powerful relationship, purposeful relationship with the God of the universe that no one can ever take away from you. So we just call us this morning to turn from our sin, give it to Jesus. He can bear it for you and bring you into the internal joy of knowing him. Let's just look at the text one more time. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this grace that we stand in awe of this morning. Thank you so much for how you promised to be with us, to not leave us alone, to empower us. Father, we thank you so much for the news of this gospel. May, may those that don't know this yet, may they receive it now for the first time. Father, we pray that you would help us to not be bored with this news. Lord, help us to not grow weary of this news, but may it truly change our lives. May it soften our hearts. May it deepen our love for you and love for one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.